With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. The Wednesday edition is here. Hot mic across the Outkick Network with Ehan Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine live at 6th and Peabody, Hutton Withrow. And Bobby Carpenter will join us in 20 minutes. A lot to discuss with the Buckeyes from his perspective. They packed 75,000 into the spring game. But the quarterback of the last two years, well, maybe C.J. Stroud isn't going number two overall. We'll get Bobby's take on that and the rumor mill surrounding the Houston Texans. Joe Kinsey, the commish of the Outkick Thursday night or Thursday morning mowing league. It is, uh, Chad, something that you and I subscribe to. We do. We're, we're uh, members of the TNML, and we will be so again this year. And the official kickoff is tomorrow. It is tomorrow. So perfect time to have Joe Kinsey join yeah, us. And we'll explain everything behind it. If you're new to the, the concept of why you mow on Thursdays, Joe Kinsey will explain that to us in hour number two. And Clay Travis with us, as always, on Wednesdays in the third hour. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hutton, I come in here today both humbled and focused after getting whipped with our 8U softball team last night. We got handled. It's, and that's the first time that's happened this season. And it was an eye-opening experience for me, certainly. I hope it was for our girls. I think it will be. And I hope they're ready because we play the same team that just whipped us tomorrow night. When so does the we'll, season end? It's a chance for a quick bounce back. Uh, like three or four weeks. Okay, so it's... Uh, here we are. Mid- Mid-May will be the tournament. April 19th, I'm here to say that Chad's Red Sox, they will win the championship. This is the moment, right? You know, every great team that we point to, we say, here was the moment. The season was at a crossroads right here, right now. I feel like we're at a crossroads this week. Three games in four days. <laughs> play the same team that just whipped us on Thursday night. Chance for a bounce back. I stress that, that we did not show them our best. Full credit to the other team. They were great. They beat us. They whipped us soundly. But we weren't at our best. We got to be at our best on Thursday. That's the that's also the mantra for today, Hutton. I'm humbled and focused for today's I, show. I'll tie it in. Like you, you're basically the Warriors. You're going to get be the sixth seed, but you're going to play better in the postseason and win. I don't know that the the Warriors are ever humbled. Is the difference? Why I think they just go into everything talking about their resume and the championships they've won. I'm trying to be humble in defeat and then know that we got to get better. Get to Draymond Green in a moment with uh, the Warriors and the suspension uh, for Green, uh, the one-game suspension. But first, uh, we, got, we have to discuss Trey Lance and the report from Ian Rappaport of NFL Media that the 49ers are fielding calls. It was a very specific tweet and, and wording of the report. They're fielding calls. They're not uh, trying to actively shop the former third overall selection in 2021. It hasn't been that long, but we also haven't seen him on the field all that much due to injury and due to backing up Jimmy Garoppolo at first. But Trey Lance is an interesting scenario as we near the draft. It's yet another wrinkle to all the storylines up top because, Chad, there are many teams, and I'm sitting here thinking about, okay, who would be calling San Francisco? I think about half the league is calling San Francisco. Think about the AFC South. Three teams 
not name the Jacksonville Jaguars could use Trey Lance in some way, and some could start him. Uh, Indianapolis should absolutely be calling about Trey Lance, especially given Steichen and what they just did in Philadelphia. Now start thinking about the NFC South and the Atlanta Falcons, for instance, or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Green Bay and Minnesota in the north. Minnesota reportedly has already talked to San Francisco about this at the Combine. Don't know if that's continuing, but I mean, if they're talking there, reports are they would be picking up the phone and calling for Trey Lance now. Washington, Miami, Baltimore, the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, there, there are so many different teams that I think make sense for his skill set and for the price tag versus what you will be paying to move up and draft one of the quarterbacks right now. Not saying that Trey Lance is better than some of the prospects at the top of this draft, specifically Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. But, Chad, a third overall pick, and the reports are second or third round pick now is what it would take to get him, considering that they're going to start uh, Brock Purdy as long as he's healthy. Both quarterbacks are coming off of injury. We should also mention this. Lance broke his ankle. He had his second surgery at the end of December but should be fully clear to participate in OTAs in the coming days or weeks. We, that, that's at least coming from the San Francisco end of things. But they've already said that, per, that Purdy's the starter. And it's also very hard for me to believe that Kyle Shanahan, for the draft hall, and what's being used as the example right now of what it will take to move up and draft a QB at two or three, which is San Francisco was at 12, and they moved up to three for Miami. Miami received, they, they swapped first-round picks. Miami received a first and a third in 2022 and a first-round pick in this year's draft as well. They gave up a lot to move up and get Trey Lance. And it's hard for me to believe, Chad, that Kyle Shanahan, after anointing Trey Lance the prince of San Francisco, is going to part ways with that guy after an injury season and knowing what they gave up to go get him, despite what we know of Brock Purdy now. I, I, I don't think it's just a layup that they're trading him, but I don't blame teams for trying to pick up the phone and call and get him because I think for, for the teams that are, we're, we're discussing, maybe they draft a quarterback early and then back up the veteran that's there. I, I should mention Vegas as a, a possibility. So many different teams would love Trey Lance as their backup soon-to-be starter. So the 49ers don't draft until the third round. That's their first pick. They don't have a first or second round draft pick. The Houston Texans we discussed a lot yesterday. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't love C.J. Stroud. Maybe they're not in love with any of the possible rookie quarterbacks they could draft in that number two spot or maybe even that number 12 spot. They, they don't love quarterback. Would they love giving up, I don't know, the third round, 65th overall pick for Trey Lance and then building with the best possible players at 2-12 and 12, if, in fact, you don't love those quarterbacks and then you could still upgrade possibly at quarterback with Trey Lance without reaching on a high draft pick with a quarterback in a year you don't like the QBs. These are all hypotheticals because we truly don't know exactly what the Texans are thinking right now, but there does seem to be a lot of smoke around this idea that they don't like C.J. Stroud and they don't like any of the quarterbacks at number two. Maybe they like one of them at number 12, if one falls to them at 12, but not at number two. So the Texans are interesting to me. You laid out the other teams also, Hutton, that should be looking at Trey Lance. 
I'm with you. We haven't seen enough of Trey Lance to say he is a surefire franchise quarterback. Also haven't seen enough bad in him because he hasn't been available <laughs> to say that he's not going to be someone's franchise quarterback. We don't know yet. But it's that, so young in his career. I wouldn't trade him yet. And, and not for whatever is being discussed right now. And by the way, the other intriguing aspect of this story is the way it's worded is, is perfect by Rappaport, but it's obvious it's coming from San Francisco. Because if, you're, if they're taking calls, the details of that, they're taking calls, no trade imminent, but they've received inquiries from several teams and they're looking into the potential trade. The conversations have been the result of San Francisco fielding the calls, not making them with teams aware that Brock Purdy is likely the future starter. I mean, the detail of that is trying to be vague, but it's not. And I find it interesting that they're trying to drive up the price for Trey Lance right now, considering what the price tag was to go get him and knowing that he's appeared in eight games, he started four and he, he's coming off of a broken ankle. And, and, and by the way, Brock Purdy may not be fully ready at the start of the season. We don't know the status of the elbow recovery and they brought in Sam Darnold. So two years later, they're going to go with Brock Purdy and Sam Darnold over Trey Lance. That, that to me just doesn't add up. I realize why you start Brock Purdy. I don't know why you tr trade Trey Lance in this draft. I don't either. And part of me keeps thinking about Kyle Shanahan and that organization and knowing what they gave up to move up and get him. Yeah. They don't seem like a group that would be ready to throw him away for a third round pick because he got hurt in his first two years. But if they do, it, it would be more than just getting hurt, right? Oh, if they do, it's them saying we've seen enough in practice to know but, he's not what we thought he was going to be. But think about what they did last offseason. They turned everything over to him, and they all but banned Jimmy Garoppolo from being around them. No, they were ready to hand him the keys. And I also look at their offense and think, all due respect to Brock Purdy, who did a really nice job, and he's certainly a gamer. Yeah. He doesn't have the ability of Trey Lance or the talent of Trey Lance. So I'm sitting there thinking, if we could get this level of production from Brock Purdy, imagine what this legitimate talent could bring to our offense in Trey Lance. That's what I think Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and the 49ers organization is thinking right now and not, oh, we gave this guy the keys to the castle and we banned Jimmy Garoppolo from the facilities last offseason and we wanted him to be the starter. But also while watching that, we realize he's not a starter and now we want to get rid of him for almost nothing. That doesn't really track for me either. It definitely tracks for me with these other teams you mentioned that could possibly upgrade with him if, in fact, that's the only cost. Yeah, and, and you're bringing him in, exactly, for the cost to be essentially backup, at least for one year. Minnesota and Tennessee make sense for that. Houston and Indy make sense for automatic starting opportunities. Chad, we're not going to see Draymond Green start in the uh, next matchup for the Warriors and the Kings. He's been suspended for the stomp, the kick, and the antics after getting ejected in uh, the Game 2 matchup against Sacramento. We had Raymond Felton on the show yesterday, and I asked him about Draymond Green's antics, and he kind of laughed, and he said he's not a dirty player. And then I, not jokingly, said, if he's not dirty, have you ever played against a dirty player? <laughs> have you ever seen one? And I mean that seriously. I know, yeah. I watch the Bad Boys Pistons and see Bill Lambeer, and I think, that was a dirty player. John Sally was a dirty player. Rick Mahorn on those teams. They were dirty players at the time. There were dirty plays being made. They weren't always dirty, 
But you do enough dirty things over the course of a game, and guess what you are? You're a dirty player. If I can go to YouTube right now, and I can Google Draymond Green kicks people in five different YouTube compilations, one, in fact, is a three-and-a-half-minute video that supercuts of all of him, kick, him kicking guys over the course of his career, how is that not dirty? I, I'm really confused about the disconnect of players and former players defending Draymond Green, a guy who's been suspended multiple times. He's been suspended again now because he stomped on the chest of a player. How is he not dirty? Occam's razor tells us that the most likely outcome or answer is the outcome or the answer. The most likely answer with Draymond Green is that he is, in fact, dirty as hell. And I don't understand why players can't just admit that. I mean, did he, well, did he have to stomp on the chest of DeMontis Sabonis because he grabbed his leg when he's on the ground? No. Of course not. Did he have to stomp on other players but across he, the league? No. But he loses the benefit of the doubt for any, for, for any excuse given based on the track record. Um, think about the, the, the players in the history of the NBA known for technicals. Rasheed Wallace, of course, Dennis Rodman. Um, technical fouls-wise, Charles Barkley got a lot of them. And he wasn't the quote-unquote dirty player that we're thinking of when you think about the, the guys that are doing the kicking and everything else. But Rodman and, and Wallace, for instance, they didn't get the benefit of the doubt when something happened like this. No. Right. And he's not either. And I mean, I'm not surprised by the one-game suspension like many people seem to be. Yeah, and that's even in the statement. I mean, this is a compilation suspension. No doubt. He's done enough and of this And the commissioner was in attendance for this. For a game. And, and, and I don't know if, if you buy this or not, but the going over to the bench afterwards and, you know, high-fiving everybody and talking to the crowd, Steve Kerr post-game saying that, they even felt like he was going to get the, the to get ejected, and he was he didn't see what he, he wasn't able to see what happened because he was trying to figure out what they were going to do after the ejection in in regards to matching up against Sacramento. But still, like all of this plays a factor post ejection in the arena, and the commissioners in the in the building to see all this again. I no no surprise. At the same time, though, I would want. Draymond Green on my team. I want to. I would want him on my team, and I would hate to play against him. I'd want him on my team if he can stay available. You know, I, I, if I'm a Warriors player and you're getting yourself suspended in a playoff series that you're falling behind 0-2, I'm not happy that he's going to be out in Game Three. I mean, I guess you take some of the good with the bad, but I mean, come on, man! Like you can push the envelope and not bruise a guy's sternum with your foot and get suspended for Game Three when we really need you because you do a lot for this team. So I'm pissed off if I'm a Warriors play, player right now. And all the antics after the ejection and all the stuff that we just saw right there in that video, I mean, come on. Yeah. We got a league right now. We're going to talk about a Bradley Beal story that can't handle fan interaction a lot of times. They don't like fans getting on them. So I don't think riling up the fans, especially in that atmosphere in Sacramento, is necessarily a great thing when you can't handle yourself. I understand it. If you're going to get mad at someone when you're just out there playing the game, you are almost going into the crowd at that point when you are jawing and mouthing at all of them and screaming and clapping after getting ejected. I can understand how Adam Silver sees that and think, you know, something happened back in 2004 
called the malice in the palace. I don't want to see that repeated. And when I see a guy kicking someone in the junk over and over earlier in his career and now stomping on someone on the ground in their sternum, and then he's trying to incite a, a fan riot in Sacramento, hey, that may be wor- worthy of a one-game suspension. I don't understand the defense from people of, oh, th- this gets a one-game suspension? No, it's this, this, and all of this that yep. gets the one-game suspension in the playoffs. He's lucky he's not kicked out of the playoffs. But the, the I think the defense comes from the success that they've had with him on their roster. You know, they, they haven't lost all that much oh, whenever I get this goes it. Look, down. It, I understand the defense from his teammates. That's what I, I mean. don't understand the defense that yeah. comes from Raymond Felton, who never played with him, who we had on yesterday, from other former players, uh, Kendrick Perkins. I don't yep. understand the defense from everyone else that played in the NBA or currently plays in the, in the NBA. If I'm a, a competitor of Draymond Green's, I hate that dude. Oh, and I think they if do. I'm getting kicked by him, yeah, I just wish more of them would say it. Like, I'm glad this guy got suspended for a game, and, and say it the way they speak on the Grizzlies. You're saying, right? The way Draymond Green says it when they play the Grizzlies, or everybody doesn't seem to have a. Most people have no problem calling Dylan Thomas a loser, yeah, and a, and a dirty player. Yeah, they don't like him. They certainly, yeah. Is exactly. it because Draymond Green has a more popular podcast? That no. we're not we're not saying the same things about him. I don't understand I, I, the defense of the guy. I, I think he must be cool to hang out with off the court, but on the court, he's good for one of these a series. It's kind of like the Trevor Bauer deal, deal we talked about. No one comes to his defense I, because no one likes him. I guess everyone likes Draymond Green off the court. I guess. No one likes Dylan Thomas. So Dylan Thomas is a dirty player and Draymond Green's not. But the the facts are Draymond Green's a dirty player. You can like him personally. Off the court, you can think he's a smart guy, funny guy, all those things. If you're a teammate, you can love him as a teammate. Totally understand all that. Let's just call it what it is, though. He's dirty. Well, and normally when this goes down, they're winning. And, and Barkley made the comment yesterday. He was like, look, uh, we can talk about this all we want. We're going to have to continue to discuss Draymond Green and the suspension, the ejection. But it's taken away from the fact that the Kings are kicking their ass. That's what he said on TNT. And He's right. He's like, I hope we're not overlooking the fact that Sacramento is standing toe-to-toe with them and answering everything to the point where with, what, 30 seconds left, they're dribbling out the clock. That's a great point by Barkley. And I watch the Warriors right now, and I don't see a lot of hunger. I think they're a team that's been there and done that. And just the way they talk, even Draymond Green talking about, hey, we've accomplished everything already. Why not one more challenge? Never been down 0-2 before. Going to be a lot of fun in San Francisco when we get back there because we've done everything else. He's not wrong. They have done a lot. But when you're talking that way and you're not speaking in a way like you're going for your first title, I question your hunger. I also question the hunger of a team that was just atrocious on the road all season. So this 0-2 start in Sacramento in that environment does not surprise me one bit. But they are coming off of a championship. Oh, I I mean. Again, they – I don't – Right or wrong, I just don't feel like they're that hungry for another title. I think they are resting on their past championships and doing it different ways. Which, if you win multiple titles, you have that right to rest a little bit if you want. And that's, I think, what they're doing this year. Chad, you mentioned Bradley Beal. Uh, So he's being sued for uh, the uh, alleging battery and assault, asking for damages uh, exceeding $50,000. Being sued... For the incident that took place at the, I believe, the Amway Center, Amway Arena in Orlando, 
uh, Bradley Beal of the Wizards, and we discussed this at length, but he goes over and, and confronts a fan who was yelling at him saying, you just cost me $1,300, you F. And went over and got into it with the fan, and now that same fan is taking him to court over the alleged incident. And he's, he's been outspoken about the, the gambling and the trash talk and everything else, but he didn't like the fact that all of a sudden it was on him that some random fan on the road was upset with him. And it's not the first time he's chirped back with fans as he leaves the court. But in this case, it made the headlines based on the fact there's a police investigation and a report made that night regarding this incident. And now the incident's in court for 50 grand. It sounds not like, surprised, sounds by the like way. a guy who could really use the money that he's suing Bradley Bill for. Yeah. If you were so motivated by losing $1,300 in a bet to go to a game and then scream at a player and curse them right. and say that you lost me $1,300 in a bet. I'm not overly shocked that when that player knocks your hat off, you sue them for an insane amount of money. And that's what we have going on here. Very now, I, I, don't, I haven't seen video footage. I don't know the whole story. Did he just knock his hat off? Did he hit him in the head while he did it? I don't know. But first glance, not having the complete picture, seems like a guy who's hard up for money, who's angry that he's losing a lot of money gambling on sports that is now suing a player that he walked up to and cursed at that knocked his hat off for a lot of money because he needs the money. Yeah, and the, the report is he, he cursed at him. Bill turned around, hit this uh, briefa on the, on the side of the head, knocking his hat off, according to the police report on the incident. And then his friend remarked to Bill, hey, you, you made me lose $1,300, which, or, and then that incited that. But again, like... We, we've, this is not the first nor the last we'll see with, with the fans and the, the players, with the individual personalities going on. And um, how close those, the, the fans are to the actual court and the players. I, I love these uh, wrestling biographies on A&E on Sunday night. I don't yeah. know if you've been paying attention to these, but the latest one's on the Iron Sheik. <laughs> and the Iron Sheik's ability oh. to rile up the crowd. I mean, at the height of the Iranian hostage crisis... This guy was Mr. Iran in the United States, bad-mouthing and spitting on American flags and propping up Iran the whole time to crowds of 30,000 people. And it, it's amazing to watch. But I see some of this now, and I'm watching the video of Draymond Green, and I'm thinking it, it's, a, it's a very wrestling, sports entertainment-type feeling around it. And when players and fans get that close to each other, you're going to have some physical interaction at times. When fans are charged up and players are charged up, and this is an example of that. Coming up, Bobby Carpenter will join us. Brian. Just had to tie in the Iron Sheik, by the oh, way, to Bradley oh. Bill and Draymond Green. No doubt. Had give, to find a way to a make that connection. And a promo. Yes. Uh, Brian Hartline and the ATV accident after the spring game were 75000 paid to be in attendance to watch Ohio State. Crazy uh, scene there, and it shows you the fervor for college football regardless of the month or the season. And we'll also discuss C.J. Stroud, who John McClain said yesterday the Texans could be souring on C.J. Stroud. Why? We'll ask the former Buckeye next on Hot Mike. Let's get to it with Bobby Carpenter, who joins us each and every Wednesday at this time. Former Buckeye, Cowboy, 
and much more. Sirius XM, Channel 84 now. Bobby, hope things are well, man. Hey, doing well. How are you guys doing today? We are doing great. When, when you hear that, okay, Bryce Young's going number one in the draft, but the Texans could be souring on C.J. Stroud, that they've soured on Stroud enough to go defense at number two. Um, first, do you buy it? And second, how dumb would they be to pass on him? Um, gosh, I mean, it's about a 50% hit rate, you feel like, on quarterbacks, and that might be even ambitious in the first round as it is. So, I mean, I, I can't ever say, you know, passing on the guy is dumb, but he is the if you don't get him in. I mean, I think CJ's a pro. I think he has all the mechanics, all the skills. He can throw all the, the ball, you know, in any which way from Sunday. He checks all the boxes. I feel like he'll be a good pro. If there's a defensive player that you really love, you know, I kind of get it. But, I mean, the name of the game is quarterback. So either you feel like Bryce Young is the only quarterback worthy of being taken in the first round, or let's say top 10, top 15, or whatever. I mean, or, like, you would take CJ or whoever else it is because you're going to overdraft that position because if you have that position situated, then you begin to build your team. If not, I mean, you're literally trying to, like, build a house without walls. You can put the foundation down, but you can't really put a roof on it. I mean, you're trying to figure all that thing out. It just doesn't work. Yeah, and, and we... We've, we've discussed Stroud with you a lot over the last two years. I, I don't recall you ever bringing up leadership or uh, camaraderie or anything like that on the field, off the field, and the intangibles, I guess, is what I'm getting at. I, I don't know why that would be a storyline right now as we're a week away from the draft. Well, because here's the reality. You know, you have your body of work that you put together, and then all of a sudden when you're done with it, the season, which really for quarterbacks, like outside of seeing guys in person and how they physically look, I mean, watching a guy throw in person, that matters some, but it's really then meeting them and getting a kind of feel for what they are. But you spend the rest of the time from January till the draft of trying to tear guys down. And it's not in a bad way, but you try to poke holes in it. And it's like anything else. Here's the body of work. Now, what's the good? We see a lot of that. Now let's try to find the bad and try to mitigate those losses. And so that, to me, is the bigger issue of what they're trying to ultimately uh, figure out. There, I get it. Like, I'm not going to sit there and, and bang on them for it. I mean, I think CJ's done a pretty good job, you know, leading the team. I, I guess I look back. I get people point at the Michigan games, and I get that. And there's valid criticisms there. I mean, he didn't play poorly. He didn't play great. He played okay. But you want your guys to play huge in the biggest moments. But I look back at the Peach Bowl against Georgia – and I look at what he did right there with, you know, guys getting injured and you know, having to carry a team. And I thought he did a pretty darn good job in big moments, yeah. whether it's scrambling, leading, intangibles, just like trying to find a way to win. Because that's what you want as a court, uh, for your quarterback. It's great to be able to throw the ball, you know, and if I have to watch like the stupid thing that everybody does now at Pro Day, when we watch Zach Wilson do it, where you scramble, drift to your left, throw back across the field to your right, 50 yards down the field, like, that happens once a decade for players. Like, that's not a realistic throw that you're making regularly. I want to know, can you make the throws? Are you going to be able to lead? And are you going to be able to get us to win? Like, will you lead us to winning? Because winning isn't always pretty. It's not about going out there and going 32 or 35 for 
380 yards and four TDs all the time. Sometimes it's just about finding a way, even when it's a bad weather situation. Maybe you're not having a great day. Maybe you're playing a great defense. Who knows? Maybe it's just the offense isn't clicking, but finding ways to win. And so that's the thing you've got to look at. And CJ won a lot at Ohio State, and yes, they were very talented. Um, I think a lot of people, too, they're worried. Like you see Kyler Murray, and yeah, he's very talented. He can run around, he can throw the ball, he can do a lot of different things. But there's just like, I don't want to say, I mean, it's a generational thing a little bit now where for a long time, man, your quarterback was like the alpha dog because you got in the huddle, you grabbed his face mask if you needed to, you were always calling the plays, you did everything, and everything ran through you. And now these kids grow up and, you know, and their coaches were always the hardest on the quarterback. If you weren't having success as a team, it's the quarterback's fault. Well, now we run the spread, the no huddle. The quarterback isn't really, you know, they're making some changes, but the coaches calling a lot from the sideline, especially in, you know, junior high, high school and college growing up. They just don't have that responsibility. And so I I think it's tougher to quantify. And if you don't have that leadership, it, it is a negative. And so I do think there's people that get weary about it. If you don't talk to a guy and get a sense, I'd be like, this dude's a straight up alpha dog. Yeah. It, it, great points, Bobby. And I also think that quarterbacks get penalized for different things at times. An example, Hendon Hooker right now is being penalized for his offensive system within NFL draft people out there that, well, it's the system and not as much him at times. I think CJ Stroud is getting penalized for having great teammates. I think the biggest knock that I hear on C.J. Stroud is, well, he's not going to have those receivers that are that much better than the defense in the NFL level like he had at Ohio State. Uh, he does, he did have great receivers at Ohio State, but what do you think when you hear that criticism? You know, I, I try not to penalize guys for having talented players around them. You know, like you were good enough to get to that school. That school thought that you were the best that they could get at that position. And you know what? If you go to big state U and you're in a place like Bama or Ohio State or Clemson, you know, like did anyone penalize you know, Deshaun Watson for the receiving receivers that he had at Clemson? I mean, they had some dudes that were rolling through there. You look at Bama, the receivers they had rolling through there. I mean, they had straight dudes. Like it's okay. You can have those, but I want to look at ball placement. Like, are you are you throwing it accurately, or are your receivers just constantly bailing you out? And I, I think mean, CJ Stroud throws some really really nice footballs. Like Hendon Hooker, he was in a system. Well, you know what? You know who else was in a system? You know, Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes is a system guy, you know, but he seems to be doing all right in the NFL. And everybody has a certain system that they run. I'm not going to penalize you for it. I'm going to look at the throws that you're asked to make. Look at how you handle pressure. Maybe it makes it a little more difficult, but like having a good coach and a good offensive philosophy, I'm not going to penalize you for that as opposed to you having like a defensive coach that looks like you're running offense from 1970. Like I'm also not going to penalize you for that either. Cause you're doing what you've been asked to do within that system. Life after CJ Stroud got started with 75,000 packing the place for the spring game. Uh, I'm not surprised that people love college football. We see it every year, but um, seven bucks to get in and 75 grand uh, of fans. There is pretty impressive. Well, it's nice. I'll tell you this, uh, the, the secret sauce when you get it, especially in Columbus is when you get a day that's like 73 to 75 degrees and it's sunny. I mean, you're a lot more apt to want to go outside and sit and watch a glorified practice. And you know, there was a day where everybody ran like, Hey, off, you know, they, they would either do offense versus defense, like a legit scoring system. Or a lot of times 
you know, you would go draft teams up and you'd play a real game and, you know, maybe one team get the first team offense, the other team gets the first team defense and vice versa for second teams. And you play a real game and, you know, you tackle guys to the ground. And the reality is you don't do that anymore. And these games are shorter and you don't want to get guys hurt. And so if you get anybody that can get, you know, more than 50,000 people to one of these games, like I, I give their, their credit, their fan base credit for being able to do it. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, especially when you're breaking a new quarterback, it's the intrigue of it's the first time you've got a chance to see that guy kind of live and in an active environment in the stadium. So that's an exciting process. How's your buddy Brian Hartline doing after the ATV accident, Bobby? <laughs> I think he's doing all right. I mean, he tweeted, I've not seen Brian yet. Um, you know, there's a you know concert they had after the spring game. I'd help raise money for the cancer hospital and Ryan Day's mental health charity. And someone's going to, you know, the NIL, the NIL collectives and everything. And it was over at the, the practice facility on the indoor, you know, and they end up doing, raising a lot of money, having some fun. And, you know, you get back, I mean, I can't, I gotta be honest with you, man. Like when I was younger, I mean, I live on a half acre now, so I don't have the ability. If I go back to my parents and we get in and we maybe got out a little bit that night, had a couple couple uh cold pops you know we pop out the atvs ride them around a little bit i mean thankful i've never wrecked one uh but he's okay i mean he's, he's doing fine and you know nobody's hurt it's you know you're, uh, coach, players are you know and i mean you're once a player kind of always a player big big kids at heart and so you know he uh probably wishes he had that maybe that decision back but it's you know it's not the end of the world i don't think I was saying off air yesterday, I grew up on a farm. I can't, I probably count on one hand how many times I turned the lights on on the four-wheeler. Um, you know, ATV, yeah. ATV can mean different uh-huh. things, but on the four-wheeler, I barely turn the lights on, period. I, I, right now, I don't know if I could turn the lights on. I could drive one, crank one, whatever, but I don't know if I could find the lights. Oh, yeah. We, I never used the lights either at all. I mean, especially you get a little bit in a more rural area. Yeah. Brian lives out there. You probably get a nice little moonlit moonlit night. I mean, it's fun. <laughs> feels good driving around. Heck, I mean, I play with guys. We, I mean, we turn the lights off on boats and drive them around at night. Now, thankfully, there was no one else on the river or lake. But, I mean, yeah, you hit, we call it stealth mode. You go stealth mode for a minute, throw them off. I mean, it's, it's not the smartest thing in the world. I'm not endorsing that behavior. Yeah. but. You know, I mean, nothing will sober you up like you an ATV crash, though. That, that's for sure. And by the way, those lights are basically well, what you have on NASCAR. Well, and you, you know, you know. Also, Bobby, in that situation, I'm thinking like, once you have the wreck, at least in my mind, I'd be thinking, is there any way that I can't go to the doctor right now? <laughs> like, can I make it through this? Can I fall asleep and be fine? Because I'd love to avoid any negative headline right now. So even if I think it's not serious, like, can I avoid? The trip to the hospital right now—that that would be running through my mind. Well, it probably is running through his, and Brian's a pretty tough dude. I'm guessing his wife probably wanted him to go to the hospital. I I've got to see. I'm not exactly sure the extent of his injuries. I know it wasn't anything you know serious or life threatening. Yeah. But I'm with you guys. I mean, a hundred percent. Unless I'm worried about bleeding to death. I'm waiting until the sun comes up to make sure that I get to the hospital. Yeah, it's just a different connotation when it's you know Bobby Carpenter showed up at the hospital at 7:45 a.m. Yeah. as opposed to 1:10 a.m. with with a wreck of some sort. Well, you know you're you're picking you're taking the trash out, guys. You know you lost control. Something yeah, something happened. So it's a little even more easier to explain. <laughs> it can be dangerous. 
Bobby Carpenter uh, has been our guest with us each week. Bobby, always enjoy it, man. Thank you so much, and we'll catch up next week. Yes, sir. You guys enjoy it. Thanks, Follow Bobby. on Twitter there at bcarp3. You can catch him on SiriusXM Channel 84. I mean, you would have to have feared well. breaking a bone, I think, to go to the hospital. Yeah. yeah. Something's like out of place. There's something dislocated. Something happens. Some you blood. know it's not life-threatening, but yeah, or there's a bad enough cut. Something. Or bleeding where it's like, I guess I got to go to the doctor. But in See my it. mind, I'd be thinking any possibility that we can bandage this thing up or I can sleep this thing off and wake up and be really sore and go to the doctor later if it gets worse. I'm avoiding uh, that middle-of-the-night emergency room I'm trying trip to think if at about all possible. What would happen if I did that, right? Um, plenty of open field, but I'm absolutely running through a barbed wire fence or something. That's yeah, what that's I, a possibility. But I don't know the property that we're, yeah. he's on, but like that's what would happen with me. Could be some deep cuts. <laughs> yes. not, I'm not talking about like the Pink Floyd album, Deep Cuts. <laughs> I'm talking about deep cuts, deep abrasions with barbed wire or something that would make you go to the hospital. And probably, as, as Bobby said, you know, a wife involved saying, you need to go to the hospital yeah, right going. now. Don't wait till the morning. Yes. Because I would hold out at all costs. I'm like, let's just wait till 7 a.m. And if I wake up and I feel terrible, then we'll go to the hospital. But not until then. We will discuss uh, Jalen Carter and where he may go in this draft. That's coming up later. When we come back, though, we air our top grievance of the week. Primary complaint next on Hot Mike. Hot mic rolls on. Everyone has a story like Bobby Carpenter and Heartline were. We were sharing some during the break. Yes. Uh, six the Peabody. And then Davey Hudson just went completely <laughs> off the top Eight. rope. There's always a way for Davey to make it awkward. Yeah. And uh, he did it in this one, too. It was uh, incredible. And it ties in with uh, what I'm going to be airing my top grievance of this week. It is time for primary complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for Hot Mike's primary complaint. So my primary complaint this week, we were showing an image that I took on the side of a street in Nashville on my way to see Nate Bargatze. uh, Right next to a telephone pole uh, and the road. And quite honestly, I thought it looked like an explosive. Um, I didn't think it was because it just was out in the open. And I thought it was kind of like a prank or whatever. But I did take a photo of it. And then I thought better of it and said, you know what? I should call this in. And you would have thought I was the village idiot based on what the police and all the dispatch were asking me. For instance, um, well, where's the location of it? Are you still there? Can you go up to it and describe it again? All these, I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not still there. And no, I'm not going back for you. So at the photo I took, I gave them the exact address based on how it is you know, timestamped. And they continued to ask where it was located. Turns out there's three green pipe looking things inside of a PVC pipe. And it, on the top, it's electrical tape, or at least that's what I thought it was. 
and there is a wire wrapped around the bottom of the telephone pole. Chad, you can see that, oh, right? Oh, yeah, no. Uh, it looks like an you explosive. You showed us this before the show, and we all said this looks like a bomb. What it is is, and by the way, there's nothing like this on the street at all. They, they run, this is how they run electrical wires under the street to different, uh, to get it across the street without tearing up the road kind of thing. And those are just how they are fishing the lines through. But to leave it like that in a situation where who knows what you're walking past anymore. Um, I would just prefer them covered up a little bit better if they're leaving it for the weekend instead of, you know, making me seem foolish for not going back up to the what I don't think it is, but I'm kind of weary of it. I'm just letting you guys know. And you would have thought, like, I was stupid for not being able to go back and meet the officer. That's my primary complaint. Hutton, thank you for saying something after you saw something. Uh, you did your service. We appreciate thank you, you so much. That. But you would agree. like this... uh, It looks like a pipe bomb. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. Okay. So I see something all the time. Beards on everyone. And this is not a knock at my co-host, Hutton, or Clay Travis, who will join us later, or even Davey Hudson, who looks like he's trying to grow a beard right now. Sad. Uh, my primary complaint is the death of the razor. Everyone I know that's my age has a beard. And 10 years ago, when this trend started of having like the facial scruff, I was resistant to that because I said, oh, just a phase. It's going to go away like everything else. Then when people started growing beards about five years ago, I said to myself, oh, just a phase like the late 70s, early 80s. You know, Tom Selleck brought in the mustache a little bit later. It'll go away just like that. And I'm here to tell you, this is no face. It's a lifestyle now. Every guy has a beard. I don't know if it's to cover their face and it makes them look better when they cover their face. Some look better with a beard. Some look worse. I'm not here to get into that, but I always thought that just shaving your face would never go out of style. And now I'm having to really have second thoughts about that. Maybe I need to grow a beard. I don't know. I'm still holding out hope, though. So my primary complaint is the forever death of the razor that we're currently witnessing. I think you should go the next two months without shaving. I mean, you can keep it tight, but let's, let's see what we can get going there. I don't think there's anything to be tight about my beard, though. It'll be very scraggly, if I had to guess. But I, maybe I'll give it a shot. I'll give it one more year, and if everyone still has a beard, maybe I'll do it. See, I wouldn't even call what I do like having a beard. That's just more scruff than anything. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that, too. So uh, I would agree with you. Pure sex over there, David. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate it. I'm a little flattered now. Uh, guys, my primary complaint is the smell of nacho cheese. I absolutely hate it. it, it like every time I walk past the concession stand and like I catch a whiff of that smell, I, I really start to gag. I know I'm in the minority on this. I, I like I mean it's at the point like they even make nachos like flavored or not flavored, but the smell of nacho cheese markers. Really? Yeah. Like, if you look it up, you can get that. So it's like whenever you're just riding with a marker, like, you can kind of get that scent. I'm kind of with you on this, though. I don't think nacho cheese smells like it tastes. Does but, that make well, sense? Well, I was about to go a step further with oh. this one. Like, I don't eat cheese at all. Like, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm about to completely <laughs> just cut out dairy. He's lactose intolerant, uh, yeah. but he eats cheese. No, I'm not even allergic to it. That's the point. But I, I do think a lot of things would be better if, like, Dairy just stopped. I get the state of Wisconsin would really take a step back. But outside of that, I'm Bruce just... would like a word. Yeah. I was, I was kind of hesitant to bring this one to the table. I know she's like staring at me like just very hard right now. Yeah, I said, okay, to the other corner of my eye. Uh, but yeah, like I just can't take the smell of nacho cheese. We should just get rid of the dairy. We're the only species that actually drinks the milk of another species. And there's a reason I think in nature, like after like any sort of animal gets past the age of like childhood... And they become an adult, they stop drinking milk. 
Well, first off, this is insane by you because uh, milkshakes, ice cream, cheese is delicious, pizza. I mean, there's dairy all over the place, and it's a lot of goodness that you're cutting out if you're getting rid of that. You don't eat pizza? Uh, not with cheese on it, no. Uh, that's not pizza. So you just eat bread and sauce? Uh, it's, like and a, it's like a carnivore type thing, yeah, just to get extra <laughs> sauce to cover up for the uh, where the cheese would be. I totally disagree. Look, we're, we're an open forum here, right? We allow for all opinions. Right. I'm just saying I completely disagree with this one. I will say, I normally like nacho cheese, but I got a nacho cheese-flavored ruffle potato chip recently. How was that? I normally go with the uh, sour cream and cheese, you know, the cheddar sour cream or whatever. That's the most delicious one. This was awful. So, so the, when Davey uh, said this, I'm like, okay, I do have a recent nacho cheese experience that was terrible and it was I, that chip so it, just to be specific i'm not talking about queso i'm talking about nacho cheese yes that and i i do agree with davy i'm not a big fan of the smell of it but i do think it's delicious i do love cheese uh the, there's a lot of cheeses that are very good and great on certain things hard coming pass later this week chad's top five cheeses my top five dairy products coming up late <laughs> on fr- a special friday edition of hot mike Mount Rushmore of a summer topic. Top five things that will make Davey look dumb for his anti-dairy stance. (laughs) Coming up on Friday. Jalen Carter says what happened with the wreck could cause him to fall, but how far? That's next.